0: I Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Today, I'm excited to chat with a longtime hair and makeup artist who more recently turned a meditation teacher and even more recently became a brand new mom. In this episode, we will talk about fertility, pregnancy, and her plans for a low-intervention hospital birth. Kelsey Zahn-Melton, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Oh, you're not the only one. (laughs) I say this about everyone, but it's so true. You're an amazing, I think the Zan in your name is more like Zen.
1: Ooh, I'll take that.
0: Thank you. I received much. that. You're just, uh, I don't know. You got it all together. Let's start at the beginning. Where'd you come from?
1: I am originally from Kalamazoo, Michigan, a little town in the Midwest.
0: What was it like growing up in Kalamazoo? Don't people say Kalamazoo just to be like Kalamazoo, no place.
1: Yeah, pretty much. There's also a line dancing song about Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Or about a line dancing bar in Kalamazoo? Something. Anyways, it doesn't I'm matter. I'm going find
0: a stanza and dub that in.
1: Yeah, you should. <laughs> oh, you really should. It'd be funny. What was it like growing up in Kalamazoo? That's an excellent question. I also will caveat what I'm about to say in that I was also homeschooled. So my experience growing up was different than a lot of people's probably in that I grew up in a rural little town actually called cooper township inside of kalamazoo and i grew up on four acres with dogs and i played outside a lot and rode my bike a lot and rollerbladed and rode my friend's horses wow yeah and my friends do not even let
0: me borrow their bike when i was growing up
1: i know horses it was pretty great but Um, we also lived 30 minutes from lake michigan so we'd go to the beach in the summer
0: oh really does it freeze in the winter yeah, so you, it's a
1: freshwater lake that looks like the ocean.
0: And so you ice skate on it?
1: You could. It's a little too rough. You have to ice skate on inland lakes because okay. Lake Michigan, unless you have somebody dedicated to like making so, you an ice rink that's smooth, it's smoothing it
0: over. Uh, what about ice fishing?
1: People definitely ice fish.
0: No, but does Kelsey ice fish?
1: Definitely not. I don't like the cold.
0: Oh, okay, there you go. All right, so you grew up in something township, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mm-hmm. What was it? Stewart Township? Cooper. Cooper. Cooper Township. And do you have siblings?
1: I do. I have an older brother and a younger brother.
0: Wow. You're yeah, like the middle. middle of the Oreo.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why homeschool?
1: So my dad was an undercover cop.
0: and oh. then, well, cat's and out people. of the bag.
1: Oh, it's fine. He's retired. He's long retired. <laughs> so it wasn't particularly like... Not that it would have been dangerous for me to go to public school, but it wouldn't have been particularly safe for me to go to public school.
0: I understand. So, yeah, and probably not a whole lot of peace of mind. Correct. Did you like like homeschooling?
1: I liked that I had time to myself to do whatever I wanted. And a lot of my friends were also homeschooled. So it'd be like, I'm done for school by noon. Can I call Renee and see if she's done with school too? And we can go ride bikes, like that kind of thing. So there was a lot of freedom And I was yeah, very I crafty, mean, so I spent I a lot of time doing that kind of stuff.
0: I don't know if you know this, but we homeschooled our kids for a couple of years. Did you? Yeah, I'm an undercover chiropractor.
1: <clears throat>
0: oh, fair. You never know. High risk. But it's true. We did a, a homeschool our kids for a couple of years. And what was amazing to me about homeschool was that I started to look at institutional school like a incandescent light bulb. Like you put in 100% energy and 90% of it becomes heat and only 10 percent mm-hmm. light and uh, i just realized by the time you get you know 22 kids to get their book sit down open to the right place quiet down and start reading and you know if they're learning to read M- kid will pay attention while he or she is reading and then while the other 21 kids are reading they're like counting the ceiling tiles or wondering what else you could stuff into an m&m or something like that
1: mm-hmm. oh what else could you put in m&m
0: i mean that could be a whole podcast really
1: it really could
0: And so we were done with school oftentimes. I mean, we, my wife is incredible. My mother is incredible. They homeschooled our kids. They were done with school by like uh, 11 o'clock, you know, 12 o'clock, like you're saying. And that's when my son did things like teach himself how to do 3D animation, you Mm -hmm. know, by watching a video series and other very cool things like that and 3D printing. Okay, moving on.
1: It's more efficient (laughs) of your time.
0: Yes. It's like one of those CFL light bulbs.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is, but I will take your word for it.
0: Complex fluorescent light bulbs. The ones that you have to get now that are energy efficient. Okay. (laughs) I was telling you earlier, like, hey, we can't get off topic. And now I have not even gotten on topic.
1: Rabbit trails will happen. It's okay.
0: Yes. All right. So how'd you meet your partner?
1: So my husband and I met, as, you know, good Midwestern kids do, at midnight during a blizzard at IHOP.
0: Oh, wow. Wait, during a blizzard? How old were you?
1: We met when we were 16 or 17. Timeline's a little fuzzy on that one. But then we proceeded to date and break up three times before we got married.
0: Is that like a Cooper Township thing that you have to do for superstitious reasons?
1: No, I was just a comitophobe. Oh, it was you? It was me.
0: Wow, okay. I mean, look, gender roles are all over the place.
1: No, but I have trauma in my past, and so I would get like panicky and uncomfortable when people got too close
0: trauma from before you were 16 oh yeah trauma you i you had share? i
1: was sexually abused when i was little
0: oh wow well, i'm sorry so
1: intimacy didn't feel safe unless i could control it And so I would control how close people got to me. one time when Drew and I were actually married, this was the most California thing I will probably say on this podcast. Maybe not, but maybe. We had our auras photographed. Okay. (laughs) So they transmit the energy in your body into color in like a Polaroid. It's very cool. And mine, the outside circle around my head. It was like purple and blue and speckled with white. And then there was like red over my body. And then there was a hole of like black in the corner. Oh. And I thought it was just misprinted. And she goes, okay, so this upper region is like, you're very like creative and you're very spiritual and very close with the divine and then the red is that you're external, you project a very grounded, rooted together persona. Like that's how you project and how you engage with the world. But see this hole in the corner? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, you hold the world at arm's length. And I was like, no one has ever defined me more accurately. At wow. that time. I've done a lot of work since, but at that time it was very accurate. I
0: mean, wow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what led you to start overcoming your phobia of getting... Close to people?
1: No, that was a long time before that. I think it's the grace of God that allowed me to like end up married (laughs) because I was still afraid of it. I remember when, after we got married, I was 20. I mean, we also got married when we were babies. We were 24 years old when we got married and we moved to California far away from everyone we knew, like literally two days after we got married, we moved and he was already living out here, but we road tripped out together and I officially moved out and i remember like a couple months in just sitting on the edge of our bed like weeping because i was like i don't think i know what love is like i think you made a mistake in marrying me like i don't think yeah so i had to do a lot of work
0: yeah but how like what kind of where do you even start
1: um therapy is a great place to start but for me it was a lot of going inward and i think that's why meditation is such a big thing for me is that it is part of the reason that I'm am who I am now. Mm-hmm. That I can like feel things <laughs> cuz I was so shut down. It's like the Brené Brown thing of like you can't numb one emotion you numb them all. And I was really shut down for a long time.
0: Wow. That's intense. I mean, I know you now and you're so in touch with everything. It's almost like the opposite of what you're describing. Mm-hmm. And so approachable and easy to connect with and not only do you seem mellow, I feel like you calm people around you. So that's what it meant about the Zen mm-hmm. situation. It's incredible how you got from there to there. You know, kudos to you and I, I hope. In terms of your trajectory of work, what brought you to LA?
1: So what brought me to LA was Drew, my husband. When we got together, he was at the time a illustrator and a letterer. So he did graphic design, he created logos, he did typography. So he designed fonts. He Mm. was like really good with lettering design and he got really popular in that world. And a company in California saw his work and wanted to hire him to design their t-shirts. And so he moved out to do that when we were dating. And then we got engaged and did our engagement long distance and then we got married and I moved out so when I moved I went from being in salon in Michigan I worked behind a chair in a salon for many years and I was really burned out from that dynamic because I'm not super high drama and salon land can be super high drama
0: oh is it like massage therapy where it's not just massage but also therapy
1: yes a thousand percent but I mostly Mm. met with co-workers it's high drama oh that drama okay (laughs) And so when I moved, I just started freelancing and doing hair and makeup on sets for photo shoots instead of being behind the chair.
0: Oh, cool. So that's what you were doing in LA. Yes. And then you don't really do that anymore.
1: Currently, no. That may come back into play at some point. When COVID hit, I was still doing hair and makeup. And obviously, I couldn't do my job because you weren't allowed to touch people. I mean, you can't really do someone's hair or makeup if you're six feet away from them. Unless over Zoom it's like... very hard. Yeah, over Zoom it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. However, we, during COVID, moved into a house that had toxic mold. And my husband and I both got really sick. And we had to move out of that house. And we basically got rid of everything we owned. And my kit is all still currently in storage. Oh, wow. Because my doctor didn't want me around... Chemicals and she didn't want me going on set where you're in warehouses that probably have mold as she's trying to get me well. And then five months after that, I was pregnant. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Was that
0: a conscious choice?
1: No, it wasn't. She's a little miracle surprise baby. Why is that? So I didn't have a period for seven years. And
0: from when to when? Like age wise.
1: Yeah. I was 24 until 32.
0: 33. So as a teenager, you had regular periods.
1: I did completely normal. And then the summer before I got married, it started going away. And I thought it was because I was working out like a psychopath because I was getting married and I was working full time and coming out to California to see Drew and planning a wedding all at the same time. So I was like, Oh, Mm. it's just stress. Like, that's what I thought. And then it just never came back.
0: Oh, I mean, medically, did you look into it?
1: Oh, a thousand percent. I have had every test done on the planet and every traditional medical doctor would be like, we don't know what's wrong with you. Like, we have no idea. Like everything seems to be fine. We don't know what's wrong with you. And then it got to the point though, where after several years, I basically didn't have hormones anymore. And so they were like. Well, that's a problem. So you should go on synthetic hormones, which those just made me feel awful and like turned me into a tiny rage monster. And so I stopped <laughs> taking them. <laughs> Cause I was like, that's not worth it. And so I started seeing holistic practitioners yeah. and doing more naturopathic work.
0: Like what kind of things?
1: So it was actually a kinesiologist slash my old chiropractor who was the first one. She also does natural medicine. And she was the first one to look at my labs and go. Did you know? And I had seen several other naturopathic practitioners before this. And that's part of why I started doing the emotional work actually to get my mind and my body and my spirit functional. So this is a two part answer actually, because Dr. Santelli is her name and she was the first one to look at my labs and go, your thyroid and your pituitary aren't speaking to each other. Like these two markers tell me that they're not talking. Hmm. And so we started doing work, like supplements. She started doing specific things in my adjustments to help my body, essentially. But at the same time as that was happening, I was having a come back to faith moment in my life where I was getting my heart and my mind back to a healthy place. And I read really fun books like Feelings Buried Alive Never Die I highly recommend it oh. and the anatomy of the spirit and all these different books and just really becoming aware of the fact that. And I think I've said this to you in a appointment before, right? Like in the Christian faith tradition, they say that we are made in the image of God and in the Christian faith tradition, God is a triune being he's father, son, and Holy spirit. And we are body, mind and soul. We are not separate. Hmm. And in that way, those three things are like, it's like how they say like the Trinity is one, It's three parts, but it's one. And we are body, mind, soul. We are three parts, but we are one. And when one thing is off, it affects the other. And I think with my period going away, it wasn't just physical. It was definitely emotional from that trauma part of my past. I think my body was like really afraid of being intimate with somebody. It should also be noted that I was a virgin when I got married because of that. I mean, not just because of that. There was a lot of religious guilt in my upbringing as well.
0: Oh, and some of that.
1: It's some of that, but to work through all of those things as an adult, and to actually do the inner work, and to practice self-love—as cheesy as that sounds—and to get in tune with my body, and to like apologize to it for like shutting it down, because I definitely did that, you know, subconsciously, I shut myself down, and so to like bring things back online. I think that's where my body finally felt safe enough and all of that, plus with the supplementation and all that to actually have a period again. And it came back, let's see, it would have been March of 2019 is when my period finally came back and it had stopped in like May of
0: 2012. Wow. That's really powerful. Okay. But then you say miracle baby, but you already had your cycle back.
1: I did, but because of the mold exposure and because I didn't have a period for so long, a lot of doctors were like, you may not be able to have kids. Ever? Yeah. They were just like, we don't know. Like your body was so out of whack. They weren't saying that like a for sure thing. They were just expecting me to have fertility issues. Let's put it that way. It wasn't that they said like no kids ever. It was like, we just don't know what this is going to look like for you. Like it's probably going to be really hard is what they were anticipating, especially because I'm in my 30s. I'm not 25, you know, whatever. But literally it's like God has hilarious humor because it was like the one time ever that she could have come into the world and here she is.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Um maybe God just has mercy on the world. We need more nice people. Yeah. All right. I would love to talk about your pregnancy, your plans for birth and how birth went, but we need to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Kelsey, and uh, she's pregnant with a miracle baby, not now, but in our story.
1: <laughs> uh, how did you find out? Oh, my gosh. This is actually fantastic. So, as I said, we weren't expecting to have a baby because we were detoxing from the mold. So, when I didn't have my period, I was like, oh, I'm just having, like, detox stuff. You know, like, that's just what I assumed. I literally didn't think anything of it. And then my little brother and his wife were out visiting and while they were in town, it was over a weekend. And on the Saturday, I just was like, man, I don't feel very good. Like we were out getting coffee and I was just like, I don't feel great. Like when we went home, we were playing a game and I went in the bathroom and I checked my temperature. Cause like, I just felt horrible and I had a low grade fever and I had a headache. And I was just like, Oh, maybe I'm just like, detoxing everything came down to detoxing I was like maybe I'm just having a like bad detox reaction to that new supplement I'm on or whatever
0: were you concerned that it might be COVID
1: no because I think I had just gotten tested oh like at the beginning of all that because for my brother and his wife coming out you know like gotcha. sure we we're good granted it was a long time ago so I could have just lied to you I don't know
0: um, yeah, I love it I love being like <laughs> you. Lie to me.
1: I hope not. that is a great song though Anyways. So basically though, the morning they left, so they left on the Sunday and I still wasn't feeling very good. And Drew and I were hanging out and I was just like, you know, I'm going to go have a bath. And Drew was like, yeah, we have a sauna blanket. And he was like, I'm going to go get in the sauna blanket. Let's just take a few to like reset, you know? So I'm in the bathroom, I'm drawing a bath and I just go, you know, I did miss my period. Maybe I should. And I had pregnancy tests in the drawer and I don't know why I had them. They were like so old. I was like, maybe I should just take a pregnancy test. Maybe like, I don't think that's possible, but like, maybe I should. And lo and behold, when it came back, that little plus mark, I sat there in shock. And I was like, I'm still going to have my bath. And then I'll tell Drew. And then I just was like, I can't do that. I can't just have a bath. I'll be sitting in here ruminating about it. So I go and Drew's laying in the sauna blanket on our bed, scrolling on his phone. And I go, um, hey, babe, uh, so I have something to tell you. And he's like, yeah, does not move the phone still in front of his face. still scrolling. I go, so I think I'm pregnant. And he just goes, what? And I was like, I think I'm pregnant. And he slowly lowers the phone and looks at me and he goes, I I think I need to get out of the sauna. I you're wow. Okay. Like, and it just turned into a cry fest from there.
0: Wow. I mean, I know you said it was like a little miracle but were you trying to have kids were you planning on
1: we were planning on starting to try like end of 2021 because when <laughs> the pregnancy test came back positive i immediately emailed my doctor because i wanted to know if she was going to be affected at all by the toxins that were still in my body I, see. I was like is she okay like i didn't know it was a she at the time but like is the baby going to be fine like will there be any negative repercussions Like. I've been taking hot baths. Like, oh my gosh, what did I do? And she literally was like, you're fine. She was amazing. She was like, I have patients that are way worse than you that have had completely healthy babies. And she goes, don't even worry about the baths. I had a patient recently who had a perfectly healthy baby. And when she got pregnant, she called me panicked because she had just been in Mexico doing a bunch of cocaine and drinking a lot. So Oh well. yeah, I was like,
0: cool. Yeah. She probably needed a bath. Yeah. Great. You're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Surprised by the time you found out,
1: I think it was five or six weeks. I was, oh, it was okay. pretty early that I found out.
0: I mean, it's pretty early, but uh, like sometimes people check like 10 days after they try So I don't know. Okay. When it came to planning for birth, what were your thoughts
1: for birth? So number one, I will be said that I loved being pregnant. The first trimester was savage, but the rest of it, I really enjoyed. And so my whole approach to both being pregnant and to birth was like, I wanted to do it as holistically as possible. And what I mean by that is just like, I wanted to feel in my body. I wanted a good team. I wanted as little intervention medically as possible. And, you know, I had all the things like I had, you know, my twinkly lights and I brought my essential oils and like, you know, those sorts of things. But really I will actually thank you because your podcast when I was pregnant I, of course, did the thing that all pregnant people do and are like, I need information. I need to know all the things because I know nothing. And so I listened to a lot of episodes just of a lot of the after stories of people's births, more than even the before. It was the after stories that were so helpful to me because through listening to them, it became so clear to me that like, anything can happen in birth, absolutely anything. And it doesn't make your birth not valid. And I think that a lot of women feel... That if their birth didn't go how they wanted it to, that they've failed somehow, or that a C section is somehow less than a vaginal birth, or that if they have to have an epidural or if they want to have an epidural, that that's somehow lesser than. And I think listening to your podcast was so helpful because I was like, this can look a thousand different ways, and all of them are beautiful, and all of them are wonderful, and you get a baby out of it. So that's great. Like, my thing became as long as she's healthy and I'm healthy. We're good.
0: Yeah, we get a baby, but I mean, either way, you grew a baby from nothing and you exactly. brought a baby into the world through your body, one way or another.
1: And it's amazing.
0: But you were leaning towards a more natural, but in the hospital.
1: Well, when we first found out we were pregnant, again, when you first found out, and maybe this is not all people, but I was like, okay, let's plan. Let's plan all the things <laughs> right away. Yeah, I was like, okay, what birth centers are in LA, which ones are good? Like they're all doing Zoom, like informational sessions. Let's get on those. So literally I was on Zoom sessions within like two weeks of finding out I was pregnant. Like, so
0: like you're six, seven, eight weeks pregnant. Yeah,
1: talking to like two midwives. I was like, okay, so tell me how this would go. Like, what is a home birth like? Cause I've had friends who've done all of the things, right? So I was like, okay, I don't think I'm ready for a home birth. So let's look at a birth center. And I asked one of the midwives and this is where I decided this is not for me. I asked one of the midwives, I have screws in both of my hips from surgeries that I had when I was little. And so I asked her, what does that do to birth? Like, do you know? Like, will that be an issue? Like, I know that my hips can only go so far. Do you see this being a problem? And she goes, well, you would be what we call a trial birth. And so <laughs> what does that mean? And she goes, we just try it out and see what happens. <laughs> And I was like, cool. No, thank you. I don't uh-huh. want to try. And so my thought was like, I don't want to labor at home, go to a birth center, labor there, and then have to go to a hospital if something goes wrong.
0: Although in my mind, every birth is a trial birth. Every it home birth. Probably
1: is a thousand percent, but I just didn't want to have to transfer twice.
0: Right. It just sounded like you would be more of a trial. But why right. birth center versus home for you?
1: Truthfully, I didn't want to have to clean anything up or have anyone else cleaning anything up.
0: Okay. That's fair. I mean, that's why I go out to eat all the time.
1: Yeah. It was like, I don't like all the time. I know there's a lot of people who are like, it's a beautiful experience to have it in your home. I do not doubt it. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful experience for me not to have to worry about anything in my home.
0: Absolutely. And that makes sense to me before we gloss over the fact that you have hip screws. Let's talk about what happened there because it was when you were more of an adolescent.
1: Yeah. So the first surgery one was when I was 10, and the second one was when I was 11.
0: Okay. Which is typically when it happened. You have Skiffy, mm-hmm. slipped capital femoral epiphysis, which I mean, happens maybe to like one in 15,000 kids.
1: It's more than that. Maybe for one, but for two, it's like one in a million or something. Like.
0: Oh, I'm just saying Skiffy at all. Yeah happens to usually people between like 10 and 15 years old and it's not that common to have one but if you do have one it's a bit more common to have the other one i think like yeah
1: it was the opposite of that what does that mean i haven't looked at the information since i was a small child so yeah
0: i'm pretty sure if you have one there's like a 30 percent increased chance or something like that that you'll have the other one yeah so what happened that made you realize something was wrong
1: For the hip surgery?
0: Yeah, for the first one, 10 years old.
1: Oh man, Um, it just hurt. So I had a lot of health things as a child. And again, back to the whole like body being connected thing, I can now see it being emotions manifesting as disease in the body. When I look back at my childhood, I'm like, oh, that's what was going on. My body was trying to protect me from something or it was trying to get love or it was trying to do these things for me. But with the hip issue... Because I had so many times where like health stuff came up, my parents were basically like, is this real Mm -hmm. or is it just something like you pulled a muscle, you know? Because I would be like, I'd be like, I wanna go play with my friends and I'd be fine. And then my mom would be like, cool, you need to go clean your room. And I'd be like, oh, my leg, I can't.
0: Uh, The girl who cried wolf.
1: Yeah, that's what they kind of thought. Basically, it got to the point though where they're like, okay, we'll just go check it out because. My dad worked for the city, so we had Epic Insurance. So it cost them like $10 for me to have an x-ray. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. I
0: would get them all the time.
1: Right? So they took me in. The doctor literally looked at the x-ray, and he was like, yeah, I think it's just growing pains. Um, Take some Tylenol. Put a heating pad on it. But just in case, I'll send it off to the radiology, like just in case. (sighs) So we go home. Skip is kind of an emergency. So you're not wrong. So my mom flew to Texas the next morning for a conference and we were like literally had left the house 15 minutes before someone called. And this is in the day of answering machines, not cell phones. Mm-hmm. And so we get home from the dropping my mom at the airport and there's a message like, um, excuse me, Mr. And Mrs. Buffenberger, you need to bring your daughter back in right away. We need to talk to you. And so we go back in that afternoon and my dad looks at the x-ray, my dad, who is not, medical at all he goes, why is there a gap right there? And the doctor was like oh yeah so it turns out that the growth plate came off and um your daughter needs to go in for emergency surgery Wow <laughs> to go to a orthopedic surgeon's office right now.
0: Yeah like right away the, the yeah. longer you delay the more irreversible well, damage can become.
1: So I knew everyone at the orthopedic office because my mom was an x-ray tech oh. it turns out. So we went to her office. So I was like jumping up and down when we got there. And I was like, hey, Alice, like, how's it going? And she was like, why is she walking? Get her in a wheelchair. What is she doing? Like, she can't be walking right now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, if you're at home wondering what the heck this is all about, your femur bone, the big bone coming down the upper leg has a ball and socket attachment on top of it and the ball sits on the shaft of the femur and uh, in Skippy, it just kind of slides off the top like an ice okay. cream scoop falling off the cone and the remedy is quick surgery to put it back in and then bolt it down okay. with a screw that generally stays in for the rest of your life and then you had a repeat a year later
1: mm-hmm Wow. So as soon as there was anything on the other side, they were like x-rays immediately.
0: And So they caught that one quicker. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of recovery.
1: About a year total.
0: Wow, that's intense. Okay, so now you have two screws, one in each hip, and because of that, your range of motion is a bit different. Do you (laughs) still have discomfort from it?
1: Yes, all the time. Again, this is where meditation is really helpful. You don't identify with the pain as much anymore.
0: Oh, I see. It's there, but you can look past it okay but because of that your midwives are like we don't know if your hips are going to open yeah. enough for vaginal birth and you don't want a messy house and you don't want someone else cleaning your house so you don't want to do a home birth but then you don't want to do a birth center because you want to travel to the birth center and have to travel to a hospital so you aim for a hospital birth with yep. very little intervention or none
1: yes and i feel very fortunate that i had an amazing doula rebecca beninati was a lifesaver not just for me but for my husband. Oh. That is like the thing I will tell everybody to do is to have birth support people. Like, I don't care if your mom has, you know, delivered six children. Like, that's great. But having a trained professional there for your delivery, it makes a massive difference, I think.
0: A personal question that if you're comfortable answering, fine. If not, we will move past it. But based on your previous trauma, your sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. So I know that sometimes people get really anxious about birth because you had a hard time getting close to your husband, Mm -hmm. but here there's generally a bunch of people in the room with you and uh, at a very different type, but a very intimate time.
1: Yeah. I think because of the work I had done mentally and emotionally, I felt really good. I think if I hadn't done that, I would have been very uncomfortable, but because I had, like I used to be so uncomfortable going to like my gynecologist, like I hated it. And then this was a completely different experience where I felt really embodied. I felt very in control of my body. Like I felt like I could ask for things. I felt like I could advocate for my own body. And that I think is what made a huge difference because I could be like, no, I don't want you to check me right now. Or like, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. It made a difference for me. And I think, again, this is where your podcast is so helpful for people is to hear like, you can advocate for yourself in birth. And I don't think a lot of women know that for some reason like they think like doctors know best and i just have to do everything they say and Mm. sometimes that is true and sometimes it's not true like where you're like ask a question even if you're in labor like is that actually necessary like do you need to do that or you know whatever the thing is
0: right so that's why we call it informed pregnancy but really informed choice in anything with your body is what Makes sense to me for myself like if i go to a doctor or any kind of medical either evaluation or treatment you know it's sometimes hard to remember that you are the one in charge i mean the, the system was not really set up that way right. it was set up much more paternalistic like they get a lab coat and a formal Mm -hmm. tie and things like that and you're in a flimsy thing that doesn't feel empowering a paper gown on, on sitting on deli paper on a table so that's how it's set up. Like you just trust them. But also I think it was a simpler time where they only had one goal, which was to totally. figure out what's going on, and fix it. And now there's so much pull in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. Will insurance cover that? Or was that too much liability for me? Like and how much time will that take? It's a lot harder and there are a lot more choices. So it makes sense for you to become informed about what choices you have and pros and cons and mm-hmm. together make a decision, but you're the lead decision maker.
1: Yeah. And that's actually why I switched OBs midway through my pregnancy is because I didn't have one here in Los Angeles. And so I had to find one when I got pregnant. You know, my spidey senses were going off. Like at first I was like, yeah, she seems great. But there was always like a little bit of hesitancy for me where I was like, something just isn't landing right. And then on one of our appointments, I asked her about Pitocin And she got really intense with me. And I was like, oh, she's going to be a bully. Like she Mm. is going to be a bully when I'm in labor and want it to go faster if it's not going fast enough. And so when I was interviewing doulas, I asked a couple of them if they knew of a good OB office and they recommended my OB, Dr. Two Good's office. And they were incredible like i liked that you got to meet all of the doctors so that no matter if your primary care couldn't deliver your baby you well, there's a, it's person. a great practice yeah so you've met the person who's going to deliver your baby which is nice
0: i will say this there are definitely people who don't want the responsibility of making decisions medical That's- decisions in general decisions during pregnancy or birth where the you know there's a, a baby involved there's definitely a group of people who are like, okay, you're the expert. You did all the training. You have all the experience. Mm-hmm. You tell me what to do, when to do it, and I'll do it. And those doctors, like, it's kind of it sounds like the one you were talking about, are oftentimes a great fit for those patients.
1: Absolutely. But
0: I think for you, it would not have been too good.
1: So I switched to Dr. Too Good.
0: Too Good. Look at us. She's
1: too good.
0: <laughs> that was one thing. The other thing is I just love, like, That's why it's hard for me to picture younger Kelsey, because you do exude so much confidence and you do, you're very sharp about picking things up very quickly. And then, you know, just saying what's on your mind. Like I see that sometimes in relationships too. There are couples where one or both partners, something bothers them and they just say, oh, no, don't do that. And I'm jealous of that. that. Okay, well, we're all working on it, but you are light years ahead of me, I think, because I'll, it's something will bother me, and I'll just not know, like, exactly how to say it or whatever, and then I hold back, and then it becomes a much bigger issue than it had to be, so I love your you confidence. It's
1: just the practice saying it poorly, and then. Poorly? Yeah, you do it poorly, and then eventually you learn how to do it well.
0: Oh. Uh, I,
1: all the time, when I'm talking to people, I'll be like, I'm going to say this poorly because I don't know how to say it well. Here's the thing.
0: That's really cool. I mean, I think that's a great tip, skill, way to move forward.
1: Keep it in your pocket.
0: Yeah. And also as a practitioner, it's hard because if somebody feels something or wants something different than what you're doing or what you think is a good plan, but they don't say it, then all of a sudden you're not on the same page anymore. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's hard, you know okay so i just want to learn from you i love being around you and i want to learn from you just the ability like you could say what you want and then if your spidey sense says "Mm, okay you're not the one for me then there's other fishies in the sea go find Mm -hmm. an ob who is perfect for you or a midwife who's perfect for you okay Mm -hmm. well we gotta take another break when we come back we're gonna find out how this splendid birth plan turned out Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Kelsey, and she is pregnant with two screws, one in each hip, and she decides to have the baby at a hospital. albeit on the more natural side is the plan. Spidey senses the first OB is not a good match, so she finds one who's a great match and meets all the doctors, and they're all on board with your plan?
1: Yeah, all of them are okay. on board. There no was push pushback literally... at all? No. My doula had an amazing, this was the best, because I was like, I don't know what to put on my actual birth plan. You know, the thing you print out and give to the doctors. And she was like, oh, I have this beautiful template. Let me send it to you. And then you can customize it. And I was like, great. So I just was able to customize some things on it. And there was a couple of things where they were like, cool. You know, this is, if everything is going fine, you don't have to have an IV. If everything's going fine, you don't have to be on a monitor. We can intermittent monitor you. And they were like, oh, well, we have like walking monitors that are wireless, blah, blah, blah. So that's an option if you want that. So there was just like a couple like technical things that they basically edited, but everything that I wanted, they were like, yeah, no problem. Like that's great. Like none of this is unreasonable.
0: So editing, meaning adding the part where it says if you are fine.
1: Yeah. They're okay. like it's basically like if you are healthy and fine, this is all okay.
0: I but I imagine that you really meant that anyway.
1: What? Yeah. If oh, I, I mean,
0: am healthy and fine, I don't want correct. this, but if I need it.
1: <laughs> yes. Absolutely. That was because I was like, I completely understand the fact that there are times where certain things are needed. How did your labor start? So actually I came to see you on a Wednesday morning and I went immediately from seeing you. I was at that point, I would think it was three days overdue by my due date standards, by my estimated due date standard. And I saw you and I went to my doctor's and we were doing the non-stress test just to make sure the baby was healthy and that I was good and all of that. And they were like, you're actually contracting like pretty decently. Like they were really light, but they were like, it's really like consistent. So my doctor and I talked and she was like, the baby is super healthy. She has a great heartbeat. Do you want me to sweep your membranes? And I was like, sure, let's go for it. So she swept my membranes. I went home. That was probably at like one or so in the afternoon. And I went home and by five or so that night, I was definitely like, oh, I am having contractions. Okay. Here so you
0: can go. feel now.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Like definitely could feel like to the point where you're like breathing through it. It's all good. So that night I went to bed, but by two in the morning I woke up and this is where I say like, I count that as when my labor started because I couldn't sleep anymore, you know, where it's oh. like strong enough where I couldn't sleep. They were definitely not painful, but very like intense. So I got up and sat on my birth ball and it was pre Christmas. So I had my Christmas tree on and I on my birth ball.
0: What a scene. Okay. Questions. Number one, did you view membrane sweep as an intervention?
1: No, because to me, I was already a little bit dilated and already pretty decently effaced at that point. And so to me, I was like, this is just helping the process. It didn't feel invasive at all to me.
0: Okay. There was no
1: drugs involved. So I was like, cool.
0: Okay. Definitely not pharmaceutically invasive. Did it feel different than a regular exam?
1: No, it It wasn't wasn't that big of a deal to me. Okay,
0: great. And then uh, you can't sleep anymore. Where are you feeling the contractions?
1: So my labor became pretty painful because of the screws in my hips. So I was feeling it in my back, my abdomen, and in my hips.
0: Ooh, so like every time you had a surge, it would like move into your hips, like where the screws uh-huh. are. Wow, I didn't see that coming.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think for me, like that was something that I wondered if that would happen, and so like that's where like the whole. Being at a birth center thing i was like i don't know how much pain i'm going to be in and even though the plan was to do this as naturally as possible i was like i just want to be an environment where if something were to go wrong they can do whatever is needed
0: yeah i mean is it possible i don't want to put words in your mouth but is it possible to say that if something was needed it would be available yes Because I mean, nothing has to go wrong or not just needed, but wanted. Like you might want something that's not available out of the hospital and have to go through the craziness of getting there to get it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So your labor at home, it's in your everywhere.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Is there anything that gives you relief?
1: So I actually in the middle of the night meditated for probably two or three hours and that really helped. I've meditated for a very long time. So being able to tune into my body and consciously relax it really helped. And the breath work that I've worked on, like breath and tuning into my body really, really helped, especially at first early on. Yeah. So that helped.
0: Was your plan for your doula to come to the house?
1: So we kind of talked to her about it and she is a doula who comes during like not active labor as in centimeters wise active labor, but like when things are picking up. So she was texting with me and drew but then she and my husband drew also had like their own like back channel happening where she's like getting the like actual details from him (laughs) yeah so yeah
0: okay so was there a point where she felt like things are picking up and i should go over there
1: so she didn't end up coming until so i labored at home and, you know, it's like the type of labor where, like, we went on a walk with our dog, and we went and got coffee and ate breakfast and, you know, that whole thing.
0: Did your dog act funny?
1: I don't know that he was acting that weird. He's just kind of a weird dog in general. Okay. So we had friends who were going to come watch him for us, which was really great. So he was just at the house with us. And he was – honestly, he was fine. He was just being himself. And it got to the point, though, where Drew was like, okay, this is probably at like, 11 in the morning. He's like, I'm going to shower, and I'm going to – I'm going to do yoga and I'm going to shower. And I was like, cool. I'll just sit on my birth bowl and bounce. And after probably 30 minutes, I stood up. And I don't know if she moved or what happened. But when I stood up, everything just got more intense. And it was like, you know, they always say like, you should go to the hospital when you can't really talk through your contractions. And that's where I was at. Oh, I was wow. like, like pain got to be a lot more. And so... That was the point. I called my doula. She was like, sounds like you should probably head to the hospital. We're like, okay, cool. So we packed up the car. We went to the hospital, which is like, it's also 40 minutes from my house. So that wow!
0: Okay. So you have to take that into account.
1: Yeah. So we get to the hospital and get put into triage like you do. And unfortunately they were like, cool. You're a hundred percent effaced. Oh, But you're only like one and a half, maybe two centimeters dilated. So we're going to send you home. (gasps) But I had a fever. So they couldn't send me home. And I had to stay and be tested for COVID and the flu and all the things. Oh, wow. And it very quickly became everything I didn't want. Like in terms of like I had to be put on an IV because they wanted to give me fluids and antibiotics, because they were like, we think you're just dehydrated, but we have to test you for all of the things just in case.
0: And what does the give you a fever?
1: I don't know. But for me, it actually made sense to me that I would have a fever when I was a little kid. If I didn't sleep, I would get a fever a lot. When I would go to slumber parties and didn't sleep, I would often have a fever the next day. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay. At this point in the pandemic, were test results quick?
1: They said it was going to be quick. It ended up being like four hours.
0: Oh, wow. So yeah. it's PCR.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But in that time, I started feeling a lot better because they had also given me some Motrin. They had given me fluids and I was on a monitor. Basically though, when they told me I had to stay and wait for that test and it had to be tested and I was on an IV and I was on a monitor and I'm so tired already. I've been up for 12 hours at this point and hadn't really slept. And that sounds like not a big deal, but when you wake up at two in the morning, you're very tired. It's so, not natural. Yeah, it's not right. It's not a time of day that anybody should wake up. And I hadn't eaten in a while. And so I was just really at this point where when they were telling me, and the nurses in triage were lovely, but they were making it sound much scarier to me as a first time birthing woman. And so I just had this moment where I was like, my doula not here. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm sick, you know, like all these things. It's what the mind likes to do. The mind takes hold of fear and likes to run rampant with it. And so, especially in the pandemic. Yeah. And so I very quickly, like I let the emotions come. I felt the feelings. I let the tears come. And I knew in that moment, I was like, I have to choose. Like, I have to choose what I said before, which is that no matter how this happens, like all I care about is that I come out of it healthy and she comes out of it healthy. And if I go down this path, it's not going to go well for me. So I just chose to like be present to what was happening, chose to check back into my body, chose to like, listen to her little heartbeat on the monitor and go like, she's healthy. I can hear her heartbeat. We're good. And within a little while I started feeling better. They let me bounce on my birth ball, which was great. So I wasn't just in that little gurney of a bed in triage. And that's when like things started to pick up. So then my mucus plug came out. I was like, great, we've got movement. Things are happening. But they had to admit me because they were like, you spiked a fever once. We need to admit you. Now you're like technically more high risk. So we got admitted to our room probably at like five or six in the afternoon. So we were in triage for a really long time.
0: Oh, and it's a it's little, very tiny little room. Yeah. Probably with no windows or did you have a window?
1: No, we did have a window.
0: Oh, that's nice at least.
1: Yeah. But so we got to our room. Drew was finally able to, you know, it's like all the things like he was finally able to get food and like all the stuff that you just don't do because you don't know when you're going to get admitted or if you're going to have to leave or whatever the thing is. So all that to say, we like hung out in our room. We cuddled in the timely little delivery bed watching the movie Soul. Have you seen that movie?
0: Oh, yeah. I so did good. see it. Uh, that's so psychedelic. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it. But so I was trying to rest and trying to nap as best I could. And then thankfully just as things. And mind you, I was in a lot of pain at this point, every time I was having contraction and my contractions were really regular. Like they were consistent. We were trucking along, we were doing great, but then they started to pick up even more and they got stronger and more painful. And that was probably around 10 at night. And that's when my doula came and it was perfect timing because that's when Drew was so tired. He needed a break. I was in so much pain. And so she does massage and she's a yogi. So she knew how to like have me move. She knew where to put counter pressure. And it was just so helpful to have skilled hands in the room. Mm-hmm. Like Drew said, I was in the bathroom when she got there. And he was like, when she got there, I gave her a hug and I just cried. Like to have support for him so that he didn't feel like.
0: Oh, he oh. gave her a hug and cried.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay.
0: Yeah. I thought he was going to curl up in a sauna blanket.
1: Right. We, we thought about bringing it to the hospital for him. No, we didn't. <laughs> but yeah, so she got there at 10. I still wasn't like progressing as well as they had hoped, but I never had to have Pitocin. My contractions were amazing the entire time. Like I just had epic contractions. I also had an epic playlist going. My friend Courtney made me a playlist and it's <laughs> incredible. It is so good. So we had that going and we had twinkly lights and I had my essential oils and I had my little like on my packing list for the hospital, my doula had recommended to bring like something to look at that will like help you through the hard contractions or whatever. So I had a photo of one of our daughter's 3D ultrasound, sounds. Mm-hmm. And then I also had a monkey I named him Howard. He's a monkey that my uncle had at his advertising agency when I was little and I loved him. And my aunt, as part of my baby shower gift, gave him to me.
0: Oh, wow. Your uncle's monkey?
1: Yeah.
0: I'll be a monkey's uncle.
1: Mm -hmm. So he was there. So it was just like we had like the vibe happening in the room, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it just proceeded to be a lot of pain for a very, very long time. And at some point in the middle of the night, again, the mental piece of all things, but the mental piece of birth is so huge, right? And somewhere in the middle of the night, probably at two or three in the morning. At that point, I've been laboring for 24 hours or like having strong contractions for over 24 hours at this point. And I, in my mind, the thought passed through of like, I would really love my doctor to come in and tell me I need an emergency C-section. I would love that.
0: But you're still on, not on pain meds. Correct. Okay.
1: I am laboring totally medicated free. At this so there's time. no
0: like in between in your mind? It's like this or...
1: Just in that moment, I just wanted... Just a
0: fleeting thought.
1: Okay, I wanted it to be done. But again, I saw that thought go through my mind and I was like, nope, we can't go down that road because again, I'll just be miserable. So in that moment, I was like, I can make it till 7 a.m. when the shift changes. I can do that because there's new nurses coming in. There's new doctors coming in. I can do that.
0: Did you make it to the shift change?
1: I did. I made it until Dr. Mester came in and... She checked me and she was like, cool, you're at four centimeters. Aye, aye, aye. And I was like, okay, great. We've had some progress. You know, like I was just like, got to think on the positive side. And the new day nurse that came in was incredible. She was oh, amazing. That's nice. So I just felt like, like the right team had come on, you know? And my doctor was like, I have to go do a procedure, but I'll check you when I'm done. And if you've progressed enough and you want to, We can break your water and like see if that progresses things. And I was like, cool, good to know. So she came back at nine and I had progressed to six centimeters. She was like, would you like me to break your water? And at that point, I'm so tired and in so much pain. I was really leaning on my doula for advice just because I was like, you've been through 400 plus births. What does wisdom say? And she was like, I would recommend you break your water. And I was like, cool, let's do it. So she broke my water, and the pain went from a hundred to a thousand. Oh wow! And like I was like I thought instantly. The next contraction, yeah, like as soon as the next contraction hit, it was like lightning ripping through my body. Wow!
0: Oh my goodness!
1: And so I labored with my waters broken for about forty-five minutes, and I mean, I was just screaming the word "ow." (laughs) Like that was the only thing that could come out of my mouth was just the word "ow." And I asked my doula after 45 minutes, I was like, how much longer, how much longer do I have to be in this much pain? And she was like, honestly, four hours. And I looked at her and I looked at my husband and Drew goes, this is your ride, babe. And I was like, okay. And I went through another contraction and I just go, I would like an epidural, please. And at that point, you could have walked in the room and given me an epidural, I did not care.
0: You don't care who it is.
1: (laughs) I was like, I want it right now. I'm done. The thing of it is, is I think a lot of people feel like they're giving up. And it was a completely empowered decision of, it was no longer compassionate for me to be in the state I was in. I couldn't stand anymore. My legs were giving out. I was completely exhausted. And I knew that if I got to the point where I needed to push in that state, it would have been miserable. Yeah. And to give my body a break so that I could Push her out and like be present to it. I knew that's what I needed to do. And it was the best decision I've ever made. I have photos of like laboring without pain medication. And then I have a photo of me after that Ardula took. And it is like Zen Zon came out. It was literally <laughs> like we all had a nap, it was incredible. And then I could feel her head and they were like, you're at 10 centimeters in an hour. Like I went from six centimeters to 10 centimeters in an hour hour. because my body relaxed enough. And they were like, you're still a little bit high. So are you okay to wait to push? And I was like, yeah, that's fine by me. I feel great. I feel like I could do anything at this point.
0: And did the epidural also get your hip pain?
1: Oh my gosh. It was the best. Everything. I could still feel, I just couldn't feel pain. Okay. So I still had sensation; like I could still sense the contraction. I could still feel when people were holding my legs, but it didn't hurt anymore.
0: And you could feel—you said the baby's head coming down, mm-hmm. so you can be holding yeah.
1: them. Totally so they um, sat me up at that point, just so she would drop more.
0: So at ten, did you have any urge to push?
1: At that point, I really didn't. I—I I was like, I could, like, I could see where the urge to push would come from. But it wasn't strong at that point. Let's put it that way. It was like, okay, we're getting there. It's how I felt. And so they sat me up and our doula, we put our playlist back on and our doula led us in a beautiful like blessing of parenthood meditation. We all fell back asleep. Drew had a shower. And then at that point, probably an hour and a half later, maybe two hours later, I was like, okay, now I'm ready to push. Oh, that's so cool. And we did.
0: Oh, I was pushing?
1: Honestly, because it didn't hurt, it was so fun.
0: Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> it didn't hurt, but again, you could kind of feel what's happening.
1: Mm-hmm. How long yeah. did you push? I pushed for probably an hour and a half or two hours. Because at that point, through my whole labor, I was trying not to watch the clock as much as possible. Because I just wanted to A, be present to what was happening. And B, I didn't want to feel like things were going slow. You know what I mean? And so I was just like, I want to not look at a clock as much as possible.
0: Yes. I remember a midwife at a birth put a sign on the clocks that said the time is now.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: And then I was like, wow, this is like a casino. You don't have any idea what time it is.
1: That's real.
0: So you're pushing. Were you able to, with the editor, were you able to get into different positions?
1: They did have me on my back, which was a little bit of a bummer. But at the same time, again, I had kind of just surrendered to this is what needs to happen in order to get her out. And as long as she's healthy and as long as I'm healthy, that became my thing. If this is how I need to be, this is how I need to be. It's not how I wanted to do it, but that's fine.
0: Yeah. So it's not like your mind was like, Hey, we got to get up and move around.
1: No. And they wheeled in a mirror, which was really cool so that I could see, like, so I could Actually, like visualize what was going on.
0: Is that crazy? It's wild. Like seeing a baby, literally starting to emerge from your body.
1: So cool. Like I said, the nurse was amazing. We had a really cool residents that came in that were just so great that were helping while my doctor was like in her other procedure before she could come back and be there to help with our delivery. And the funniest though was. So we had two anesthesiologists, right, to do the epidural. One was, like, too cool for school, like, in a cool scrub cap, cool sneakers, like, very handsome young man. The other one was the most socially awkward human being I've ever met in my life. And whilst I'm pushing, socially awkward man number two comes in, peeks his head around the corner of the curtain, you know, and just goes, oh, pushing. Turned around, walked out of the room, and never came back.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: It was hilarious and we all just burst out laughing it was the best
0: i'm pretty sure i know who you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) that's what's extra funny for me an amazing anesthesiologist by the way
1: oh incredible those two i thank god for them daily because it was a game changer well not what i thought i wanted but what was absolutely necessary?
0: I mean, it sounds like the whole thing was pretty empowered. Like anything that happened is what you really wanted to happen, unless, as you wrote on the birth plan, something wasn't going exactly as planned, like a fever. Then you had pre agreed that, okay, then I'll do an IV. And yep. just so it kind of followed your plan. Yep. And I love also that when you felt like this is not pain anymore, this is suffering. Yeah. I don't want to suffer in childbirth. And you, With conscious decision and, you know, no regret. You go Mm -hmm. get that epidural and then you love that. That was the choice that you made at that time. Mm -hmm. Looking back at the whole experience, is there anything that you would do different? Anything you learned from it that you would take into a future birth?
1: I think honestly I would get an epidural sooner only because I feel like it allowed my body to relax. Like it allowed my body to open, quite literally, so that I could birth my baby. <laughs> and I think that that is just something going forward. I'd be like, cool. My A friend of mine had a nurse tell her once she was looking for a reason not to get an epidural. And the nurse said to her, some women look at a mountain and say, oh, that's a really beautiful mountain. And some women look at a mountain and think, I want to climb that mountain. And she was basically saying, like, if you get an epidural, you're not climbing the mountain. You just think it's beautiful. And for me, what i said is like people climb everest and need oxygen i just needed oxygen
0: that makes sense well congratulations thank you you kind of in your current career Mm
1: -hmm.
0: just to uh bring it full circle not only do meditation for yourself but you teach meditation correct and is that virtual
1: it is i teach on zoom
0: so your audience is practically any place in the world that has an internet connection. Correct. And is it specific types of things that people seek out your talents for?
1: I do mostly mindfulness practices, which have to do with being in present moment awareness. I teach a lot of different things, but one of the things I teach a lot is mindfulness because it's so useful And within that, there's so many different types of practices. So you can do rain or compassion practices or forgiveness practices. And there's all these tools for your tool belt that just help you live daily life.
0: I have a question for you. Where can we find you online?
1: You can find me. My website is currently being renovated, which may take some time because I now have a tiny human (laughs) on Instagram. And my handle is at, kelsey zahn
0: z-a-h-n correct actually is there a bunch of spellings for kelsey too
1: it's k-e-l-s-e-y-z-a-h-n is how it's spelled. okay
0: beautiful at Kelsey on i'm going to go over there and connect with you because i need some mindfulness
1: and i'll be back to teaching probably at the time of this recording i am not back to teaching yet, but i will be soon
0: okay Kelsey, Zon, Zen, thank you <laughs> for coming on for sharing your awesomeness and sharing your personal story so others can benefit from it.
1: So thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh my goodness. I knew this was gonna be an extra long episode before we even thought about recording it because there's so many interesting things to talk about. And I didn't even know. Some of them just came up along the way. I feel like we could do the full Joe Rogan in three hours. Oh yes. No.
1: That's a long time.
0: I don't know how he does it, but with a guest like you, I could totally get it. If you want to connect with us, we're on Instagram as well at Dr. Berlin, Mm D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N.